When I was 15, my father and his second wife divorced. Shortly after that, my brother moved in with our mother. My father decided that he and I should move in with my grandparents. They had just purchased a farmhouse a couple of miles outside city limits, and my dad and I, along with my dog Tanner, moved in. The layout of the house had two of the bedrooms located on one side of the house, off of the family room. The third bedroom was located on the other side of the house, off of the living room. I was given the bedroom off of the living room. From the moment we moved in, I knew we weren't alone. No matter what my family thought, I wasn't the one leaving the water running in the bathroom. I saw him frequently. The first time was within days of us moving in. There was a half wall separating the dining room from the living room. One of the walls of the dining room was a mirror, and you could see the mirror when sitting in the living room. He would walk in front of the mirror over and over again. Sometimes he walked slowly, sometimes quickly. I never felt particularly scared, mostly just annoyed. One night, about a month after we moved in, I was home alone and watching TV, and he wouldn't stop walking in front of the mirror. After about 10 minutes, I shouted, Damn it, Carl, knock that off! You're driving me crazy! I don't know why I called him Carl. It just felt right. It also worked. He didn't bother me again for the rest of the night. He picked his behavior up again the next night and every night after that. He would always stop when I asked him to. That is, until the night of junior prom. My grandparents were out of town that weekend and my dad had agreed to let my friends stay the night. He decided he would give us the house for the night and he would sleep in my grandparents' RV. After prom, my dad left us alone with the dog and we stayed up for a couple of hours. If Carl had been there, I didn't notice. I was too busy being giddy with five of my closest friends. When we decided to go to bed, three of my friends took the floor and the other two crawled into bed with me. After maybe an hour, they were all asleep. I was having trouble sleeping when all of a sudden I realized that I can hear the water running in the bathroom. I also realized that I didn't hear my dad come in. I get up and Tanner gets up with me. I slowly open the bedroom door and we slip out. I quietly shut the door behind me before investigating the house. Upon finding nothing, I stomp into the bathroom to turn off the water. I said something to Carl about wasting water and stormed off back to my bedroom. As I was reaching for the door, the water turned back on. I was furious. I was just trying to sleep and Carl was being a jerk. I spun around and headed back to the bathroom. I turned off the water while telling Carl off. After I finished, I went back to the bedroom. I waited a moment before opening the door just in case he decided to turn the water back on. He didn't, so I opened the door. Tanner walked in ahead of me and I followed. I crawled back in bed and pulled the covers up when I heard the dog scratch at the door. I was immediately irritated. Why didn't that damn dog ask to go outside before we came back to bed? With an irritated sigh, I sat up. The dog wasn't at the door, but the scratching was still happening. I slowly got out of bed, walked to the door, and opened it. Tanner was waiting outside. My heart was pounding in my chest. He'd come inside with me, I saw him, and yet he wasn't in the room at all. I let the dog in and quietly rushed back to bed. My friends were all still sleeping peacefully and I longed to join them. As I pulled the covers up, I noticed him. 
It was a bright orb of light floating near the door. I could feel him watching me. I begged him to go away. In a fearful, quiet whisper, Please, Carl, stop. Please, you're scaring me. He stayed. For the first time, I was actually scared. Eventually, I rolled over and tried to forget he was there. At some point, I managed to fall asleep. Upon waking up the next morning, I asked all of my friends if they noticed anything. They hadn't. A few days later, he picked up his usual routine of walking in front of the mirror, and it continued every night until I moved out a year later. I never felt comfortable being home alone after that night. I can only assume that the energy of 16 girls made him more active than usual, but I never had another sleepover to find out. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum. And this... Is Ghoul Intentions. Da, da, da. Yay! Da, 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 da. <sighs> what a story. Such a good story. Ooh. So creepy. Man, shit can't... It can't impersonate your dog. It can't make you think you're... That's rude. That's rude. That's it's also, it's weird. Rude. It's like definitely like Carl is testing boundaries. He's like, yeah. okay, I'll be respectful at first. Carl, but now man. Carl's like, I think it's time for us to take this relationship to another level. Right. And you're not ready. And it's just weird. And it's like, <laughs> great. Now, uh, how are we going to be friends? Carl. Um, yeah, that's that's creepy. That yeah. creepy. Who submitted that? Who's, who's that story from? That was from Mercedes. We loved story. it. It's so good. Oh, um, the, the running water thing plays into yeah. an element of my story oh, really? today, actually. To our title today is Terror Made Me Cruel, Ooh. which comes from uh, Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte, one of the Brontes. They're all about um, gothic landscapes and, and dark human passions. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever, ever read Wuthering Heights? I haven't. Just let them, there's some good movie versions of it. Yeah. Tom Hardy played a really, really good Heathcliff, who's kind of the anti-hero... Right. I think I've um, seen... Um, yeah. I can't remember. Probably. This has been done like a thousand times. Right. But it's really good. I probably have at some point. Yeah. But it's I love that quote. Good. Yeah, that Terror quote is made great. Me cruel. And, and it makes sense. So, well, yeah, most people... Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm in the process of uh, trying to train a new puppy... Mm-hmm. And it's like Brandon, who's, um, you know, really good at this kind of thing. He's like, dogs are usually only aggressive when they're frightened. Yeah. And they're, they're threatened. So they don't just do it to do it. They don't, they don't get any pleasure out of being aggressive. They're aggressive because they feel they have to be. Yeah. And that's, that's what you got to watch for. You're like, oh. That's true. Not that our puppy is aggressive. He just doesn't, he doesn't read aggression. When Genji's well, had don't enough. Know how. Yeah. He's like, well, we're still playing, right? I'm like, oh, that dog is going to slap you. Yeah, he's going to have to get slapped. That's mm. how it Oh, works. he has been. <laughs> Several I mean, times. Dexter's getting the shit slapped out of him by Leela earlier. <laughs> so funny. Leela, who was blind like... and 11 pounds, was <laughs> regulating on 35 pounds. Dexter <laughs> regulating. I mean, absolutely just owning the uh-huh. house. Yeah. Just being like, you there. Child, yes. I will fucking eat you alive. But it sounded more like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> yeah. and then uh, Genji yeah, was like, I like. need to get on the other side. And Genji, who's, guys... the, who's the dog tank, he uh-huh. he's like the sturdiest of all of them. He's terrified of her. He he's, won't pass he her. Won't, he won't he get will not near cross her. her path. Yeah. Yeah. He it's, learned. He's respect. Yeah. That's respect. He's like, okay, that that's... That's the head bitch right there. That's right. We're not going to mess with the head bitch. She always has been. She always has been. <laughs> and I love it. She just owns it. She doesn't flaunt it. She's like, no, I'm the head bitch. Welcome. That's right. Yeah. Welcome. And that, see, Step that's what Carl was know. trying to do. He was trying to be head bitch. <laughs> Mercedes was like, no. no. Well, okay, baby, just for a little bit, but I'm leaving. <laughs> so keep that in mind. 
Carl. I don't know. I don't know how wise it is to give a ghost a name every time. Every time I've done it, bad things happen, or like the ghost seems to be like, oh, oh, that's my name? Fuck you. And then does something to get me back. Well, but when she came up with the name, he listened to her. So maybe, you know, the name was developed. Also, think of it like this if the ghost isn't named Carl, and odds are that isn't the ghost's real name, then then whoever this thing is going to be like, oh. She thinks I'm someone else. I can get away with stuff now. I right. mean, it's like you're Who a ghost. Knows? You can get away with anything. But I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. It was a strange, it's strange a uh, incident of Carl being like, all right, let's uh, let's see what else I can get away with. Like, it's so yeah. like, what's the, what's a turning point for a ghost when they go, you know what? I'm tired of you telling me that I can't have a little fun. So now tonight, I'm going to fuck with you. Right. I'm going to pretend to be your dog and make you, you know never feel safe in your home again. Yeah. So rude, Carl. Rude. So rude. Rude. Do better. Rude. Do better. Rude. So what's uh what you got for me today? Oh my story. And let me let me just tell you, I'm so tired, so I I apologize if I I apologize if I sound tired. It's because I am tired. Um yeah. having to get up every four hours to take our dog out because he's not he's nowhere near the level of bladder control necessary. No. Um to just it's get through the night. He's a baby. He's a baby, but he's like it's like having a child, except that child can move around really fast and chew yeah. things up and actually do quite I a bit of damage. I believe we discussed the same thing yes. on the last ghost Yes. Call. Can you tell I'm obsessed? A little bit. It's all right. You can be. You can. We're, we always talk about the dogs, so. I know we do. He's new. He's new. And he's so vocal. Oh, my God. He's so vocal. Yeah, when you meet him, you're going to be like, oh, okay. He's definitely the talker of talk this group. Talk to me about his breath. For just a minute. He has puppy breath. Oh, yeah. Uh, he has the puppy smell. He smells mm. fur. He just smells like freshly minted puppy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Fresh baked French bulldog. Ugh, yum. And uh, he's super sweet. He's very, uh, unlike Genji, when Genji was a puppy, Genji was pretty quiet. He only whined yeah, he was real quiet. a little while. Uh, and even then, it never he never yapped. He barked once at a fire poker. That was hung in, in in the grate, and I get it. That was it, and he was yeah. like, "Wow!" And then that was it. He's never, he's not much of a barker, but he's also not terribly focused on people. Like he doesn't look you in the eye very much. If you have a treat, he'll look at the treat, not at you. And one of the things we try to do with our dogs when we to train them is to get them to look at us to be yeah. people focused. And so we're like, we'll only give them the treat when they finally make eye contact. And it took Genji forever to get that. And Gus seems already there. He's like, yeah. oh, okay, I'm going to look you in the eye. And he okay. always wants to know what you're doing. And Genji wants to be near you, but he doesn't want to look at you. Right. <laughs> He's like, ah. In fact, he'll give you the butt. He'll, he's like, I'm yeah. I'm in the room with you. Here's my ass. Yes. Boom. Plop Keep down. It and then warm. that's, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but Gus is very like, he wants to know what you're doing. And there'll be times when like, if you're just, if he's perfectly out and free and, you know, in the, in the house, but if I'm in the other room, he'll be like, bark, 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 wine. Cause he's like, where are you? I can't see you. And I don't know where <laughs> you are. And you're like, okay. Mm. That's cute. He is adorable. Him. And it's fun watching Genji get used to him. Cause Genji loves him, but also gets, also tolerates him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. So your story. Um. I shouldn't have started with such a, a I know. How puppy. are you stories about puppies because this story transition. is dark. I know. This story is really, really dark. I'm gonna just train I'm gonna just what the musicians call a direct modulation. All right. <laughs> An unprepared modulation. So I this week I happened upon a documentary that's available on Netflix mm-hmm. and it's called Belief, the possession of Janet Moses. I think I've seen and, that. Uh, I think I've seen it. Yeah, I, I Not just, like watched it, but seen it on the Netflix. It's it's Cute. really 
uh, it's one of the best documentaries I think I've seen yeah. in recent memory. And I watch a lot of documentaries. Mm -hmm. That's documentaries are my jam. And it's an hour and a half documentary about a true story that happened in 2007. So um, it's it's tragic. It's it's horrifying, actually. And but, you know, there's so many I was really impressed with the documentary because for all the, the subject matter, they could have handled it really sensationally and been like very lurid and focused on like. They could have done, because there are recreations, there are actors playing the people involved, because most of the people, the identity of a lot of the people involved has been legally protected. Right. Uh, because it's kind of, it took place in New Zealand, and it's New Zealand law. Generally, if um, something like that happens, um, everyone's name is withheld to protect the minors who were involved. Okay. Um, which I think is wise. So they have actors playing everybody, but they're recreating, like, you know, police depositions and, and interrogations and things like that. And they're doing a really good job, and they recreate some of the incidents, but they do it very respectfully. It never feels like hokey. It never feels hokey or or you know um, tabloidy. Oh, it was right. really and it's very yeah. sensitive to the issue because it's all about belief. I mean, what happened happened because these people had a very sincere belief that they were doing uh, the best they could. So, um, so big shout out to to belief. The possession of Janet Moses. Uh, definitely watch it. It's about an hour and a half. It is. I cried more than I. It, it's it's more of a tearjerker than a. The way they do it, it's more of a tearjerker than a scary. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong, there are scary elements to it. So, without further ado, let's do Here it. is the sad and terrifying story of Janet Moses. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! Um, the quiet Wellington suburb was a stranger to this kind of thing. The old woman had died several months prior, but cars lined the street outside her single-story flat. Shoes piled up on the front porch. Loud, garbled prayers from within had been keeping the neighbors on edge for days. The words, go with peace and love, chanted again and again by dozens of muffled voices, could be made out above the rhythmic stomping of bare feet, punctuated by a young woman's cries. The eerie cacophony would go on for hours at a time, dying down only after things reached a fevered crescendo. Shaky, exhausted people would step out into the yard for a smoke, hugging each other and sobbing before going back in. Some would take a moment to relieve themselves in the grass, an especially odd detail given that the flat had indoor plumbing. In fact, when police arrived on scene several days later on October 12, 2007, filing past the people inside, most of whom were now either hanging their heads or staring off into space, they noticed the kitchen sink had been left on. Nothing was wrong with the taps, yet enough water had collected to overload the drain and was spilling over the edge in a steady curtain. A hole punched into the linoleum floor to catch the flood hadn't helped much. The carpets were soaked as far as the front door. The soles of the officer's standard-issue boots sluiced across the man-made bog, shuffling toward a small cot in the corner of the living room, around which family members kneeled over the lifeless body of Janet Moses. She lay on the drenched mattress, uh, as if in state, tended there by her anguished uncle and his sons, four aunts huddled nearby, weeping, the whole of her extended family, who were present, were spent with grief. That much was clear. What they'd all been through together the last few days would be enough to break anyone. Janet was proof of this. An autopsy would later show the 22-year-old New Zealander had drowned. <gasps> now, to understand the events leading up to her bizarre and troubling death, to say the least, we need to kind of steal a brief glimpse into the Maori 
religion, which I hope Spell I'm that. saying that right. It's M-A with an accent over the A-O-R-I, uh, Maori. I looked it up and I'm probably doing it as close as I can. So forgive me if I'm being disrespectful. I, I, I mean no disrespect. That's just the only way I know how to pronounce it. Um, now, talking about the Maori religion is a tall order because the indigenous Polynesians of New Zealand are notoriously cagey with outsiders, especially on the topic of their spiritual beliefs. Uh, the overarching system kind of hails more or less unchanged from their eastern Polynesian homeland and predates European influence by several centuries. But the unifying concept seems to be one that believes that life force is imbued in all things. I'm not an expert and I could talk forever about like the ins and outs of it. Not as it turns out as important to the story as we might think. The more traditional Maori beliefs uh, that Bind that uh, binding Janet's family together had been mingling for generations with the prevailing Christian elements of New Zealand, and added this a smattering of rather eccentric mystical practices unique to her family. The most notable of which involved the use of water in cleansing rituals, and it's difficult. I mean, that for, makes sense. It is and, a logical and, thing to use water to clean. Exactly, <laughs> it's difficult even for experts to map out um, exactly what brought this tightly knit clan to such extreme measures when it came to saving one of their own from the forces of darkness. Janet had died during what's called a makatsu lifting, or exorcism, a last-ditch effort by her family to pull the young mother of two back from the brink. They believed she'd been in the grip of a makatsu, or an evil spirit. Janet Moses had been a sickly child, prone to asthma attacks so intense they often landed her in the hospital. By all accounts, a cheerful, warm-hearted soul dedicated to her uh, maternal family, Janet found strength in being a mom, despite having broken things off with her daughter's, her children's father. Well, she was very young, right? 22 mm -hmm. with two children? 22 with two yeah, children, yeah. Young. In the weeks leading up to her fateful exorcism, the relationship between uh, her and the father of her kids had deteriorated to the breaking point. He'd taken to stalking her, emotionally abusing her via phone calls, what have you. Her cousins had to ward the menacing young man off with threats of physical violence regularly. The situation was toxic. It took a toll on Janet's normally sunny mental state. On a family pub crawl one night, this family did everything together. They, right. were, they were their community. Uh, for the most part. Very few people involved were okay. not, family not family members. Mm -hmm. uh, and and but, and but this included extended family, so cousins and cousins of cousins once removed. I mean, it was a huge group of people involved. But they hung out together all the time. Everybody knew everybody. So they go on these like pub crawls. And on a pub crawl one night, her aunts noticed Janet sitting alone in a booth, staring blankly at a wall amid the festivities. And for someone normally so gregarious, this was alarming behavior, to say the least. The family elders decided among themselves right then and there to keep a close watch on the troubled young woman. This was, after all, what her grandmother would have done. The family was still recovering from their beloved matriarch's death only months before. She and Janet had been close. Coupled with the poor girl's romantic troubles as of late, it was understandable she'd be withdrawn and emotionally fraught. How to help her uh, without grandmother's guidance, though, would prove to be elusive. The elders were new to their responsibilities, unsure of exactly how to proceed. On a lark, and seemingly unrelated, Janet's cousins stole a concrete lion from the front stoop of the Greytown Hotel one night. The lion, you see, was the family's personal emblem, uh, as well as their favorite team's mascot. One family <laughs> member, in fact, had the words Family United and a roaring lion tattooed on his arm. Such a noble statue seemed wasted on tourists, so they pulled up one night and <laughs> took it from the porch and right. uh, put it in the back of their car and brought it home for a decoration. Why not? I mean, who hasn't done shit like that? I, I'm not I have proud not. of it, but... I have never stolen a lion. 
Not real me. or stuff. <laughs> if you're going to steal a lion, uh, definitely not a real one. No, um, I would steal a cub. After that, no, you you don't want to do that. Just a baby. Um, just a little baby. They and grow then I, up. I know, but I would take it back when it started to grow up. <laughs> Good luck. Just put it in a basket <laughs> on the front porch. Here you go. Um, after they brought the stone lion home, however, Janet's descent into madness escalated tenfold. She would swing unpredictably between despondence and outbursts of terrifying violence, screaming obscenities, clawing at her flesh, lashing out at whoever happened to be close by. Did they, how old were her kids? Uh, toddlers. They, I mean, they See, wanted, I think, and it one makes you wonder if postpartum is involved there too. It could be. Yeah. Uh, but as far as the family was concerned, she began acting for all intents and purposes like a lion. The oh. family consulted a man named, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, uh, Timi Rahi, a Maori priest with whom they had had a deep and abiding bond. Uh, he consoled Janet as best he could, blessing her according to Maori practice. During the rather straightforward ritual, he caught a pang of something dark and vengeful emanating from the ill-gotten lion that was now propped up in the living room. Hmm. He took Janet's aunts and uncles aside and solemnly bade them return the statue. It was one of a pair, he said, resentful of being separated from its mate. Unless they put things right, Janet's soul would be devoured by the makatsu, or evil spirit, summoned by bringing the statue into their home. Or just get the other one. <laughs> true. Sorry, she, I'm a she... problem solver. <laughs> I can't help it. Now, true, Janet had ha, had no part in the actual theft, but that didn't matter. Makatus prey on the weakest member of the household, regardless of who or what provoked them. Janet's soul was in danger. The family had to act. The line was returned to the Greytown Hotel. En route, Janet, who was wedged between two doting ants in the back of her uncle's rover, had been kind of anemic and unresponsive. Um, as they approached the hotel, however, she suddenly erupted into a flurry of oaths and cracked voice threats, swearing she'd kill the ant sitting closest to her the second the car stopped. Um, the women restrained her, terrified but determined to save Janet from what they hoped would be the, e the evil spirit's last hurrah. Uh, Timmy Rahi conducted a contrition ceremony on the hotel's front steps as Janet's uncle and cousins gingerly placed the statue back beside its mate. She calmed almost instantly. Hmm. The worst was over, or so it seemed. Following this, her uncle moved Janet into her deceased grandmother's house, where the family congregated 24-7 to ensure all was well with her. Unfortunately, the ex-boyfriend got wind of where she was being kept and renewed his efforts to intimidate the poor woman. Though her uncle succeeded in scaring him off, he was a stout man who could have easily broken the younger one like a twig, the encounter plunged Janet headlong back into her personal hell. The outbursts of violence increased, she had vivid nightmares, and would wake up from them screaming so loudly the entire house would wake up. She would mumble to herself, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, rocking mm. back and forth on the couch, insensible to the caresses of her worried aunts. Her eyes would glaze over, their inner light dimmed by a pall, not of this world. Something had to be done. Now, the family's connection to water was an old one. Though not strictly speaking derivative of Maori practice, Janet's grandmother had always insisted on the importance of water in cleansing the body spiritually, particularly where makatus were concerned. It was decided, then, the only way to remove this curse 
was to use water. The family would gather in force and ply the troubled young woman with water for as long as it took to drive out the darkness. For days, her aunts and cousins hovered over her, often having to restrain the girl on the cot while pouring water down her throat. Her uncle and his sons would prop her up in the shower, raining an ice-cold barrage over her clothed body while the family stamped their feet and chanted in unison, go with peace and love, go with peace and love. Sometimes Janet fought them, sometimes she relented, going so far at one point as to say she was willing to die if it meant casting out the Makatsu and ridding her family of its evil influence. So prolonged were their efforts, the children, many of them hadn't seen for days, were summoned and brought into the fold. So more and more people were coming over after yeah. this had gone on. They're like, go, go get the kids, bring them over. We're just going to have, we're all doing this as a family. The house was full of Janet's extended family, most of whom participated in the ritual without question. No one was allowed to use the restroom for fear of tying up the water supply in a vulnerable moment. People had to either go outside or soil themselves in their clothes where they sat. The kitchen sink was left on, the floor punctured uh, to prevent flooding. An assembly line formed from the faucet to the cot where Janet lay held down by her aunts. Cups, bowls, anything that could hold Cold water was passed hand-to-hand down to whomever in a given bout was responsible for pouring it over Janet's face or into her quivering mouth. Go with peace and love. Go with peace and love, they all chanted. Bare feet stomped. Children cried. Janet would break free long enough to lift her head and scream. This went on for hours at a time for several days running. Some of the women insisted they could see demons swirling behind their children's eyes and, caught up in the madness, attempted to claw them out. At oh one point, God. Janet screamed the Makatu had leapt out of her and was lurking in a corner, ready to pounce and inhabit someone else. The family went batshit. Men grabbed makeshift weapons and swung wildly at nothing, egged on by shrieking women. The scene absolutely beggared belief. Around 8 a.m. on October 12th, Janet stopped breathing. She'd ingested so much water that yeah. her brachial sacs ruptured from the foam building up in her lungs. It's what's called um, passive drowning, I believe. Right. Yeah. No, there's a story <clears throat> about like there was a, a radio station that did like a contest if you drink yes. this much water. Yes. And so it was like a certain amount of a certain t- amount of time mm-hmm. and it killed the woman who was competing in the contest because she drank yeah. her. You, yeah. You and can't it can have happen. too much like, of anything, including water. If you if you're swimming, for example, and you ingest a lot of water. Um, this has happened before, like you can respirate some of it. And even though you cough it out, if enough gets in there, it can still damage your brachial sacs and cause you to drown because the foam that builds up, um, like from the blood and everything else eventually will fill your lungs and kill you. And this could be, this could happen hours after you choked on the water and thought it was down. It's, it's fucking terrifying. The cleansing continued for quite a while after this. But eventually the family gave poor Janet up for dead. They barely had time to process the gravity of what they'd done before growing absolutely certain the Makatsu had moved into Janet's young cousin, a 14-year-old girl who very much against her will became the ritual's focus. She might have been drowned too had it not been for the family's more skeptical members. It was over. They'd killed Janet. This wasn't supposed to have happened. They'd all lost their minds. The Makatsu, if it existed, had clearly won. Nine hours after Janet Moses died from the best of intentions, the police were called. Now, the story sparked a media frenzy all across New Zealand. The trial lasted about a month. Uh, Over 100 witnesses were called to the stand, testifying on everything from the character of Janet's family to whether or not the cleansing ritual accorded with actual Maori belief. 
Experts maintained the clan had improvised, putting their own spin on dimly understood Maori concepts. Many practitioners of the faith came forward to decry their actions, taking mm -hmm. pains to separate the scandal from the actual practice of makatu lifting, as recognized by centuries of tradition. Most of the trial focused on the issue of consent, that is to say whether or not Janet was a willing participant in the events that ultimately took her life. In the end, her uncle, four aunts, and four cousins, nine family members in total, were found guilty of manslaughter. The judge, however, took pity on their misguided love for Janet and commuted all sentences to community service. Janet's paternal grandfather, who was not in any way, the paternal side of the family wasn't involved, right. um, came out in support of the defendants, saying, quote, We've made our peace with them. They didn't know what they were doing, even though I told them not to go down that road. They chose to do it anyway, and for that mistake, they're going to pay for it for the rest of their lives. I wish them well all the same. As is frequently the case with uh, legal matters in New Zealand, most of those involved in the case have had their names withheld out of respect for the privacy of minors. Right. Though makatu liftings remain a common practice among Maori people, a coroner's inquest into Janet's death strongly urged families to consult an experienced elder of the faith before taking such matters into their own hands. Okay, in the that's future. good. And uh, that, in a nutshell, is is the story. Her father wow. uh, had driven something like six hours to come once he was told what was going on. Yeah. And uh, I think she was, he, she died while he was en route. Oh so my gosh. when he came, found that she was dead. Yeah. And I think by that time the police had been called too. So I think they may have called him. I think this came out in the trial that they may have called him after she died. Right. But didn't tell him. Because um, he drove six hours, but she'd been dead nine hours when right. they came, whatever. And yeah. it's it was really sad. And what's compelling in the documentary that Netflix put out, which I really cannot stress enough how well made it is, um, the transcripts from the interrogations and mm -hmm. just from the the testimony is really compelling because they 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 were devastated that they'd killed right. her. They were absolutely devastated. They loved each other. They, there was a very tight knit family. And I know for for some of us, you know. I know that, I, I mean, I love my family, but I'm not as close, I'm not a close enough to them that if they ever, there are a lot of boundaries, you know. Right, I'm not stealing um, a lion statue for my family. I might do that, but I'm if they not. thought I was, but <laughs> if they thought there was something wrong with me and they started doing some ritual yeah, that no. they improvised to try to save me, I'd be like, you are fucking nuts. Um, but, yeah. you know, it's a different, different thing, a different, I have a different energy with my family. That's true. But and, also there's, you know, she was clearly suffering. Absolutely something. suffering. And it sounds like, I mean, she's at the right age, um, early 20s for schizophrenia to mm -hmm. present itself like late teens, early 20s. That's usually where that comes into yeah. play. And then also if she's having postpartum depression and she has all of this, you know, stress, there's just breaks that people have. It just happens, Yeah, and, you and know? that's a, several uh, psychiatrists, I guess, were called to stand to witness and to, the, uh, to give testimony and say, like, yeah, she had all the signs of a psychotic break. She was yeah. having a psychotic breakdown. And the only tools that her family had to interpret what they were going through was their their belief, which ironically was kind of a belief all their own. Like none of them right. were particularly well versed in actual Maori practice. They just mm -hmm. kind of they had their own, which is which is how most people uh, it's that 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 defines the relationship most people have to their faith. It's it's That's very true. personal. And, you know, you may you know you're you're clear on certain rules, the core principles maybe, but but if asked to like say you're Christian and, and it's not very many people could quote the Bible freely. Um, yeah. You know, and that's I mean, that's not a criticism. That's just an observation. Most people don't have the time to be as well versed in their faith as the people whose job it is to be well versed in right. the faith. And so I can think of you know it's nothing to do with Maori. I could see people of of the Jewish faith or the Christian faith or 
number of other faiths going, you know what, water, let's do that. That seems, Makes you know, sense. it's their own kind of tradition that seems uh, within the larger umbrella of their faith to totally match up, but actually wasn't doing anything. There's yeah. no, that's not part of the practice. And it's so tragic because these people had the best of intentions. They were like, yeah. this is what we know to do to help you. And here's another thing to consider. It might have helped her had it not killed her. Because there are many psychiatrists who will argue, like, if you can cure someone within the context of their faith, if you can kind of play to that, uh, I don't want to call it a delusion because that implies that all faith is delusion. And that's not what I mean to say. But if someone has a very strong belief that there is a demon inside of them, but they're having a psychotic break, some psychiatrists have argued, I think very successfully, that you, if you play into that illusion and like go through an exorcism, you can actually help the person right. heal well, themselves. And I think an example of that working in this case is when they restored the lion, right? Mm -hmm. She was instantly better because there's part of it too that, you know, her reference is her family. Her reference of what's going on is what she's being told as well. Yeah. So she's part of that, you know, almost madness, right? Of this is yeah. what, you know, this this mass hysteria of what's wrong with her. She's a part of that because she believes them. Exactly. And so when she's here is once we get this lion back, you're going to be better. You're going to be great. They drop the lion off. All of a sudden she does feel better because that's what was supposed to happen. Exactly. And then later when things get hard again and she just can't do it. You know that that's yeah. that's problematic, and it's it's so Fuck interesting because it, it brings also. out, right? Yeah, it it also brings to mind that we call something a psychotic break, but is that not just our? Is that not we might as well? I mean, there are people that would say, and I think they have a point that you know, we just call that an evil spirit or a demon or a makatsu. Like it's potato potato. The the, right. the symptoms are the same. And, you know, for some people, like if you've become disconnected from faith and going to a priest isn't going to be as helpful during a psychotic break as going to a therapist because right. that is your faith. You're like, you have faith in psychiatry, you have faith in neurochemistry or whatever, and you'll go and that's how you'll get better because it plays into the context of what you believe about what yeah, you're going through. Yeah, it's just, a, it's, there's two, it's two-sided, right? Because right. there is something to be said about, you know, whatever you can't see affecting people. I think there's really that out there. Mm -hmm. But I also believe that more often than not, it is something that can be treated. And it's just mm. the way that yeah. our brains work. And so it's hard to say, okay, you know, ignore the science and go yeah, only with I the mean, faith because then you end up with a dead cousin. Yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no reason that you can't also maybe do, do both of those things. Well, <laughs> and I think go, the thing, I think, the I think the wiser, personally, I think the wiser approach is to try to incorporate the thing because I don't, I don't see them as opposed at all. I just see well, them, it's, you, you know, know I, I, I see they can be opposed, but yeah. I don't see them as like necessarily at odds. I think they can complement each other very nicely. In, yeah, in I the think right. it's just, it's, it's dangerous sometimes to say that, that, you know, to put it off on on religious beliefs because then people don't seek care that is out there that right. is perfectly available for them. You know, And it you also have, maybe gives religious leaders too much power over exactly. individuals that some have, people shouldn't have. But that can also be true of psychiatry yeah, and well, pharmaceutical companies. So six if of one you have blood, high blood pressure though, right, right. are you going to not take high blood pressure medicine because, you know, your church wants you to drink a lot of water instead? That seems ridiculous. Yeah, that's a good And point. so you would take that high blood pressure medicine. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have something wrong with your brain that you can take something to balance that chemical imbalance, studies that have shown it, you know, yeah, generally the pharmaceutical company is ready to take all of our money, but some of these drugs really work. And if you would take it for your heart, if yeah. you take it for your stomach, if you would yeah. take it for diabetes and take it for your brain, fix that yeah. shit. There's no reason not to. And then let your religion 
you know, take part I forget the author. I'm, I can't remember his name, but he wrote a book called The Noonday Demon, which is all about depression and yeah. his battle with depression. It's just, it's a really exhaustive study of what we know about depression and, and, and interspersed with his own experience of it. And he, he says it brilliantly. He's like, the question of medicine and of like, of, of pharmaceuticals is a very, very controversial one with mm -hmm. people. They don't want to be addicted to pills, but he's like, from experience, I can tell you having felt like I didn't want to have to take, I, I felt lesser than because mm -hmm. I was relying on a pill to help right. me. He was like, I coming out of it now, I feel like, and I, I I'm, this is not so much a direct quote as <laughs> the sense of the quote, because I can't remember the thing, but he's like fighting depression in his opinion now, fighting depression or bipolar disorder or any kind of mental illness without the aid of everything that's out there right um is like going into modern warfare with a horse yeah you know it's like fighting tanks with your fingernails he's like you've gotta you have to avail yourself of everything we know mm -hmm. nothing is perfect right you know um faith isn't going to get the job done uh yeah. out is, isn't gonna it's isn't gonna be a cure-all neither is psychiatry neither is it's all yeah. and i think as uh, the struggle is trying to take is to start, is sort of successfully cherry pick what works from at what all everything that's out there right yeah uh, without making it about like but not to faith and that, shame but, any of it no not at all. The, because the at the end of the day if you're suffering it. from something you gotta fucking do what works absolutely you have to do absolutely. what works and it's it's a journey <laughs> that you're yeah. gonna go on but there's no reason to just shun something because someone thinks well that goes against what i think is right, right. fuck that you know yeah if i could take a pill every day that would give me all of the energy in the world until I went to bed. I would do that shit. A thousand. If I could take a pill every day that would let me eat whatever I wanted without having to worry about any, you know, I mean, imagine, I, imagine a thousand years done. ago, someone going, God, if I could, if there was something I could put on my teeth every day to make it less likely that they'd fall out of my face painfully. Oh my gosh. I would do that every day. <laughs> I would do that every day. Twice <laughs> a day. You know, even. <laughs> I know it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, and it's almost nonsensical to think of anyone out there now going, Oh, I don't brush my teeth because it's unnatural. Right. <laughs> and what? I'm sure there are had people that believe that yeah. I, I don't like, have fun with right. have fun with that but yeah. I, no thank you I, yeah. i'm gonna brush my teeth science is a thing mm -hmm. yes you know? it, it, it absolutely is, is and and by yeah. no means am i suggesting right that science is is but i think the point of view a lot of people have is like well what why is science any different than faith which is not a very philosophical sound argument because right, it's saying no. so. Because basically, it amounts to so you're both wrong. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, not always the subtlest well, I mean, of fingers. You know, global warming is a real thing. Just because you believe it's not doesn't mean it's not going to. Right. So that's a difference between science right. and faith. That's um, true. But you know, that's the thing is you you can have both, but I think there's so many that try to discount each other, like especially from the it's religious like side. You can't believe them. in science if you also believe, you know. Yeah, it's, it's like, become a clubhouse. Hey, yeah, because like here's the thing: uh, if God invented everything, uh, they invented science. So <laughs> also very... ignoring the, the fact that in the early days, like the ch churches were actually pretty supportive. Most of the like mm -hmm. major discoveries were made by men of the cloth uh -huh. or women or of the cloth or hired by them to do it. It was just mm -hmm. it only it's it's a whole weird. It's a much it's a far more subtle. It's a far subtler battle culturally than people, I yeah. think, realize. But all which is to say, it's tragic in this case that it happened the way it did. But yeah. man, it's just like if they had had, 
imagine, you know, I, I think, and of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty. but imagine if they'd had access to a psychiatrist that could be like, I can play to your belief so that you can, you know, I can help her and you can help her, but we can, it's like, how, like do your ritual. <laughs> right. But maybe don't use the water like right. that. Do this, like do, do something. Because I mean, ritual is an important part of any healing process, I believe, even if it is the ritual of, you know, getting up every morning and taking a pill. Right. Because that can, you know, the, the I, I know that personally when I, you know, I'm sick and, you know, this is, and this is such a minor example, but if I'm sick and I'm taking like a Z-Pak or an, or an antibiotic, yeah. I begin to feel better after I've seen my doctor because I know I'm, I've done what I can. I'm right. not. You're you know, on the right path. I'm on the right path. Even yeah. if for all intents and purposes, like you put me under a microscope, I'm still just as sick as I was before I went. But my mental state is important. Like if you, you well, stay, then you have faith that you're going to get better. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, but imagine like if those powers were combined, if you had the psychiatrists, uh, you know, and, and with, with armed with modern medicine and but but kind of put in the context of a ritual that spoke to kind of a deeper spiritual need that this family recognized, yeah. then she might have had well or she might have been they might have been successful in yeah. helping her and strengthening their bonds with each other and at the very least not killing her accidentally. Yeah, you would have thought one of those members of the family would have reached out to the the religious leaders. One. Well they did, but but at some point, like they they reached out to the guy that did the uh, the did the the contrition ritual of the mm -hmm. zone lion, but I think there is such a uh, and they they go into a little more detail about it in the documentary, obviously. But they talk about how this family just felt like, well, this is our problem. We need to do this, and this is what grandmother would have done. Right. And because grandmother was so recently dead, and she was the celebrated matriarch, and they were kind of lost without her, I think this was just as much about helping Janet as it was about dealing with their own grief at the loss of their matriarch. Yeah. And so I guess, and this is just my own interpretation, but maybe they felt like involving an outsider, uh, even if they were a priest, still not family, involving an outsider might have been an insult to uh, grandma, grandma's memory with, yeah. that they weren't ready to consider. Um, I, it's, it's just so sad. It's, it's so sad, sad. And it's, yeah. it's a, it's a fascinating and tragic study in, in the power of, in the misuse of the power of belief. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Man, I need a drink. No shit. I believe in modest amounts of alcohol. That's right. Uh, let's do that and come back and then I'll just, I'll tell my spooky stories. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's get spooky. Right. Okay. Better. Better. Yeah. Better. We're refreshed. <laughs> I'm refreshed. Crisp We're and clean. Cleared. Cleansed. Not with water. God, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> but with aquavite. See. Uh, okay. So... My story, what I wanted to do was um, kind of start to do some haunted highways because I'm always fascinated by people, um, you know, it's very common for people to see a spirit or something on a highway. Mm -hmm. You hear about it all the time. And it's so, an old, old trope. Right, right. So I wanted to see haunted highways and haunted, you know, situations. And there are so many different haunted highways. I might do a series and just start doing some haunted highways. But the... <sighs> We'll call it Haunted Maps Go. Oh, that's fun. No one will know what a Maps Go is. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Google Haunts. Uh, so Google Haunted Earth, Haunted Go Anyway, it doesn't matter. Ways. Um, and <laughs> haunted Ways. Woo, Ways. Uh, so, but one of, this, one of the roads that always came up in all of the lists, and it's very common, mm. um, is Archer Avenue. Just outside of Chicago, uh, yeah. Illinois. Ooh, okay. Yes. So, the people I used online. 
thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But specifically, <laughs> um, ghostresearch.org, Ranker, Michael Clean, Haunted Chicago by Tom Ogden, HauntedHouses.com, HauntedDetective.com, Haunted Chicago. So there's Sweet. just, yeah, there's a whole lot of information. Mm. Um Specifically about one case, but there is a lot to this road. Okay. Awesome, awesome. I can't wait. Yeah, it's good. The seven and a half mile stretch of Archer Avenue between Resurrection Cemetery and St. James Sag Church might possibly be one of the most haunted areas in all of the Chicago area and is often considered the most haunted road in America. That seven and a half mile stretch. If you go further, there's more haunts, but that particular stretch is extremely very, fucking very haunted. concentrated yeah. there. Yes. The road weaves its way through forests, lakes, and multiple graveyards. And it seems all of those locations have their own spooky stories. Ooh. So Archer follows the Desplaines River. Desplaines? Desplaines. Desplaines. I, I want to say the Blanc. <laughs> the Splan. The Plan, the Plan. Um Plains River south of 55 and is technically Illinois 171 or the 171 if you're from LA. The 295 45 junction runs right through it to give people an idea where it is. Resurrection Cemetery is a bit southwest of Midway Airport. Oh, I so want to visit the cemetery. I've heard stories about it. I've, some I've driven by it before. Really... Oh, you've been driven by it? And then I got too scared, so we left. <laughs> um, <laughs> I spent a lot of time in cemeteries as a kid Rosset. because of my mom, because she yeah. did genealogy. So I like I was I became fascinated and incidentally weirdly good at finding specific graves. Yeah. 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 Uh, even I just I don't know. I'm just good at it. Yeah, I don't know how. That's great. It's like I'm like a dowsing rod for celebrity graves. Interesting or the graves that, that you should bring for. up dowsing rods. We'll get there. <gasps> oh, okay. So Archer ends at Illinois 83 and 107, um, 107th Street, I believe. No, yeah, no, 107th. That's right. One early maps, one early map of Chicago from around 1830 listed what may have been the future Archer Road as the road to Widow Browns. Widow Browns. Yes. Oh, like the Widow Browns. Yes, that's how you get to the Widow Browns. Oh, house. yeah. Archer, popular widow. I guess so. <laughs> the road, Hello. The road was named after. Like that's how you get to the Widow Brown. Excitement number one. <laughs> there were other stuff on that road by then, but um, Archer Avenue is home to numerous mysterious locations involving everything from hauntings to unsolved murders to healing springs to the site of America's second nuclear reactor. These locations dot the area on either side of Archer Avenue, with the majority falling inside the boundaries of a triangle of forest preserves, lakes, trails, and burial grounds. Mm -hmm. This triangle is defined by the Calumet Sag Channel to the south, Archer Avenue, and the Displains River to the north, and South Keene Avenue to the west. It is a hilly wooded area with multiple lakes and shallow depressions. Mm -hmm. The shallow depressions, of course, turn into little lakes whenever it's rainy. Ursula <laughs> Bielski wrote Chicago Haunts, and her theory, theory is that the area runs alongside ley lines. Ah, yes. So for those who don't know, the term ley line was coined in 1921 by amateur archaeologist Alfred Watkins as a pseudoscientific belief that certain alignments of landmarks, religious sites, and man-made structure are not a coincidence and are straight navigable paths and have spiritual significance. In 1969, British, another British author, John Mitchell, who had previously written on the subject of UFOs, published The View Over Atlantis, in which he linked ley line theories with the Chinese concept of feng shui. 
A mm. general idea is that ley lines have some spiritual power or at least resonate a special psychic or mystical in energy. It's like a power grid, but instead yes. of electricity, it's like spiritual it's, energy. Yeah. Dowsing rods use the idea of ley lines to work. Mm -hmm. So they're using that spiritual energy to move and stuff like that. Right, right. Watkins thought ley lines were simple pathways that had been used for trader ceremonial purpose, very ancient in origin. He did not think that they were necessarily supernatural. That was Michael who added the mystical element to the term. Bielski, Ursula Bielski, who wrote the book, um, believes that ley lines around Archer attract paranormal activity. Of course, the Native American aspect has to be included, but that is in regards to the ley lines, not a burial ground that's trying to take revenge on white people. So that's good. Not that white people wouldn't have it coming, but... Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm... That trope, thankfully, I have not found. <laughs> this section of Archer is said to be an old Native American trail, although what I've read is that it's most likely one, nothing definitive. However, it follows a river, a major river, so it's not hard to believe tribes would use that particular route. When you consider the Illinois Central Rail was built in the area, as was the Chicago Sanitarian Ship Canal, it's not hard to imagine the location as a major conduit for Native American trade. Right. 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 So, that's a little bit about the trail, the road itself. Now we get into the areas and their respective hauntings. Seven and a half mile patch of haunt. Of nothing but haunts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Saint, we'll start at the southern end, which is St. James Church and Graveyard at Sag Bridge. Sag Bridge. S-A-G. So they, a lot of times they'll call it St. James Sag Church or St. James at Sag, St. James-Sag. But what, it's Like the, the sag. word sag? Like S -A -G. saggy? Yeah. Why is it called Sag Bridge? I didn't look that shit up. I'm just, I wouldn't want to cross a bridge that's called like Maybe it sag used bridge. to be an old saggy bridge and now it's not. But that's I weird. Mean, I'm just it wondering. It was on the road to maybe it's some, my, my Widow Browns name. or whatever. Then the Widow Sag. <laughs> and the Widow Sag. <laughs> it's like that she got screwed for names. Yeah, maybe they took that road <laughs> instead of taking the Sag Bridge. The, this is know. the road to the Saggy Widow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> poor so sad. The sad, saggy widow. <laughs> so, St. James sits at the tip of a ridge, which incidentally makes an excellent observa observation point. Hmm. In fact, the French used it as an observation point in the 1700s, I believe. Okay. Maybe 1600s. 1600s and 1700s, I think, because they settled the area. Yeah. And at first, that space was a fort, a French fort. Oh, so, um, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it's one of the higher in points, area. and so you can I see. I thought we were further north than that. Down. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, burials began there uh, officially around 1834. Most officially. Officially. Yeah. There most likely were burials before then. I mean, it was a fort. That's how cemeteries came into be. Like, this yeah. is just, this is where we've been collecting our dead bodies for like, yeah, a few generations. We might as well start calling it a cemetery. Right. Right. Which is funny because it's the, yeah, it, some people call it uh, the St. James Church and Cemetery, but it's a graveyard. So, because it's connected to the church, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, um, most locals know this church and graveyard as Monk's Castle, which we'll get into in a second. Sounds ominous. Interestingly, at St. James Graveyard, your social class did not matter. A poor man could spend eternity besides, let me say that again, a poor man could spend eternity beside a millionaire. Everyone is equal in the, in the eyes of God. This was the only churchyard <laughs> of its kind in the world at the time and may still be, and St. James accepts burials to this day. Wow. From what I That's understand. Cool. So I like I'd that. Like, rich or poor, y'all rot in the goddamn ground. That's right. <laughs> Which is really 
cool when you think about it. Because it yeah. used to be sectioned off. The closer you were to the church, the more money you had, the more important you you, you were. Yeah. And um, then, you know, if you were poor, you oh, were lucky to be buried at the church at all because you couldn't afford it. Like, so, I don't, why do dead people want to check real estate trends? Like, I know. Oh, God, I, know. I don't know the property value of my grave Well, and down. like suicides would have to be in a certain yeah. portion. Yeah. And that's and still so, true in some yeah. places. So um, anyway. In 1858, two gentlemen, James Murphy and John Sullivan, those are very, very general names. <laughs> James <laughs> Murphy, Murphy and, and John Sullivan. Sullivan. I feel Private like eyes. they have beers together. Like they created <laughs> a brewery together or something. Yeah. Uh, they, they granted fight crime. Right. Something. They write operas. Something. They, <laughs> they granted the Right Acre graveyard to the church. So there was a stipulation in the deed when they gave this land to the church that said that anyone who could not otherwise afford burial could bury their dead in these hallowed grounds for free, provided that they be the ones willing to, willing to dig the graves themselves. Okay. Needless to say, St. James is filled with unmarked pauper's graves, which makes it impossible to determine how many graves are located there. Mm. Of the first 1,000 burials, about 700 are unmarked, and no church records exist to say who was buried here or where. So, um, there, and, and they, I've read estimates between seven, 8,000, but mm-hmm. it's probably more than that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Because of that stipulation, the North section of the graveyard is known for being a little more exciting than other <laughs> sections. There are countless stories of the poor coming to bury deceased family members only to engage in drunken orgies and brawls. Oh. Marshal Edward Cohen told the Chicago Tribune in an article that Tim Carroll, a legendary grave digger, uh, that Tim Carroll, who was a legendary grave digger at St. James, that he was responsible for having to rebury the dead after such spectacles. <gasps> he oh. stated that Mr. Carroll had witnessed many men literally throwing punches as they attempted to dig the graves. Quite often, the mourners would not bury their dead at all, but instead would storm off in a drunken rage. In these cases, Mr. Carroll had the task of burying the abandoned remains himself and without extra compensation. Most of the pauper's graves had to be exhumed and reburied, sometimes in old graves, because people would only dig these graves two feet deep. The first grave digger was a woman. Let's go back to the pauper thing before we get into that. It's a short thing. But um, with that, though, this is the person... uh, the marshal is the mm. one that was telling the paper this. Uh-huh. So, you know, it could be true, but it also could be an attempt to keep poor people from being yeah. buried. You know, it could have been yeah. just like a smear campaign. Yeah. Because. Wait a minute. Well, to do right. people are like making poor people feel lesser than because right. they're worried about property values. Right. Huh. Yeah. So. I find that so I hard don't know. to believe you. That never happens. It There's could... no historical precedent for what you're describing. Right I know. Now. I know. <laughs> I know. So um, I'm sure that those things happened, but I don't think that they're necessarily. Like it might have been once. Yeah. Maybe once a rowdy family came right. and like uh, had a yeah. fight and a fight broke out, you know, whatever. And then like the marshal was like, yep, poor people. That's how, that's just how that's poor the people problem. bury their dead. All they're poor just pe- violent. All poor people. They're violent Everyone and they don't do what they're supposed times. to do. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're like, they're like savages. Yeah. It seems. Does seem it seems little... exaggerated at the very least. Yeah. It so, seems like bullshit. But yes, the first gravedigger at the graveyard was a woman. Her husband was assigned the job, but he didn't know how to be a gravedigger. He didn't know how to, to straight. He didn't know how to dig graves, so she did it instead because she knew how to do Is it. Is it that complicated? I guess. I mean, it seems like something you could learn by watching someone do it once. Yeah. But I've never done. But maybe she so was maybe... like, "This is how we're going to do it," and then he helped her. 
Maybe. But she was like the one that. Or maybe he was like, I would do it, but my back. My back is just. <laughs> but I guess there's planning and surveying. And you yeah, have to, yeah, that, you that's know. true. That must be. you do. There, there's, there has to be more to it yeah, uh, than just than digging, just a, digging hole, a hole or it wouldn't be a profession. Right. Exactly. In 1885, a stranger visited the parish and put a curse on the church, the graveyard, and all members of the parish. A mysterious man had come to St. James seeking alms, for which he reportedly was refused. Shortly after, disturbing notes were found tacked to the church door and on the doors of Sagbridge residence. The congregation was very upset. But the cops didn't take it too seriously. Since the cop never identified the cursor, the whole Satan himself cursed us trope came up. Mm. And that's where, you know, people are like, oh, this is where we have the haunts is because of this curse. Mm. But it's, you know. It was probably just some troll. Yeah, just a troll. Who's like pissed off. And he's like, I'm going to write little notes. Everywhere. That's mm. all you have to do to curse people. Is just right. tell them you've cursed them and then they'll, they'll, they'll think themselves <gasps> into a curse. Then they'll think cursed, yeah. A curse is the best way to not take responsibility for your own actions. <laughs> so, <laughs> the first official ghost story dates back to September 30th, 1897, and was reported in the Chicago Tribune. Two musicians, Professor William Looney, which is funny, and John <laughs> Kelly, had given a performance, and after finishing around 1 a.m., decided to stay in the dance hall overnight rather than attempting the long journey back to Chicago. They slept on cots in the upper hall of the church. Okay. About an hour later, <laughs> Looney was awakened by the sound of hoofs on the gravel road. He looked out the window and saw a carriage. It came up the road to the entranceway, stopped, and turned around. He saw what appeared to be a girl in a white robe just appear out of nowhere. She got, and this is not the only time we'll say that. She got into the coach with the driver. They turned around again, and just as they patched the archway, the entire coach disappeared. I'm such a sucker for disappearing coaches. I, I know. Just, I love it. It's such a great, like, image. Visual. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love phantom coaches. So it was said that the ghosts were those of a young assistant to the priest and a young housekeeper at the rectory who fell in love in the early 1880s. They fought against their feelings until they finally decided to elope. Late one night, he hitched a team of horses in a wagon and told her to wait for him halfway down the hill so they would not be seen. As she boarded the wagon, the horses bolted, turning over the wagon and killing them both. They were buried together in an unmarked grave in St. John's James Cemetery and on moonlit nights are said to be doomed to reenact their attempt to elope. Yeah. Uh, St. James acquired the name Monk's Castle because it has been said that if unwanted visitors were caught trespassing out here at night, the monks would apprehend and force them to kneel down on ball bearings all night in prayer. There were never oh. any monks stationed there, though. It's one of several folk legends which has attached itself to St. James. Other versions of the story tell of a monk who chased children from the cemetery with bellowing shouts and a blazing light. The mad monk was most likely the Reverend George Oschenbrenner. I think that's how you say it. Oschenbrenner. 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 What yeah. a name. Yeah, right? Who was there in the 1970s and was known to have chased would-be vandals from the grounds using a flashlight and a bullhorn. <laughs> I like his style. He personally did not give much credence to the supernatural stories surrounding the church. A very interesting encounter came from a Cook County police officer's, uh, I'm sorry, one Cook County police officer <laughs> in a two-page report submitted by him. Oh. The event okay. occurred on the Friday before Thanksgiving in 1977. The officer was on a patrol about 2.30 a.m. when he drove past the graveyard. As he looked through the open gates, he observed 
eight or nine hooded figures dressed oh. in monk-like habit. I can't speak. I can't speak. There's nothing I can say. <laughs> <sighs> You're doing great. Thank you. Thank you. As he looked through the opened gates, he observed eight or nine hooded figures dressed in monk-like habits walking slowly up the hill towards the church and rectory. Ooh. No one's supposed to be there at the time of night, so the cop called out to the figures telling them to come out. The figures ignored the fuck out of him, though, and just <laughs> continued to walk up to the top of the hill. He then grabbed his shotgun from the car, called for backup, and began to go after them, stumbling in the dark over tombstones and the unleveled ground. Oh. The group of strange figures, however, had no trouble at all. In fact, they appeared to be silently gliding up the hill in unison. The cop got to the top of the hill within seconds of the others, but he couldn't see anyone. He immediately ran down to the other side of the ridge towards 107th, but still found no one. After a thorough search of the region with canines, no clues as to the identities or whereabouts could be ascertained. Oh, that's spooky. I know. Oh, just, just, he, again, the image. I know. I know. I he love later a good line of, of, of so good. black shrouded monks. Well, and it's kind of the it was Gothic church, and so yeah. yeah. He later believed that what he pursued that evening were not human beings, but some form of ghostly monks or phantom manifestations. He based his conclusions on the lack of effort used to climb the hill in almost total darkness, his inability to hear a footstep or even a rustle of leaves blanketing the cemetery grounds, their complete and total disappearance, and the inability of trained tracker dogs to pick up even the slightest essence of a trail. All of this was filled. And there filled. were so many people. And he saw so many people, like eight to nine. Eight to nine. And not it, yeah. one of them le is leaving a scent that the dog can Yes, and all up. of that information was in his file, on his two-page report. Wow. It's filed in that report. 1977. That's right. Spooky. A lot of people th thought, and this may have been why he was so freaked out and called for backup at mm -hmm. first, was because, also it's eight or nine people, but there was a lot of belief that there might be devil worshippers in the area. Yeah. So that was another thing, but uh, he did not believe that was the case. Hmm. There have been subsequent scattered reports by people who were actually chased out of the graveyards by dark figures. Father, <laughs> let's see if I can say this. Oshenbrenner, was that the guy? No, nope, it's a different one. Plazinski. Oh. Father Plazinski. Plazinski. Yeah, confided to friends just before his death that he could often look out his rectory window at night and see the ground raising and falling as if the earth itself was breathing. Oh. On many occasions, oh. yeah, Ugh. he also noticed strange hooded figures wandering through the graveyard at night. Recent reports include a phantom black stallion seen galloping through the grounds at night and the face of the devil appearing in the rectory window, which begs the question, what does the face of the devil look like? But there's a creepy face, I guess, in the, in the rectory window. The large statue located at the top of the hill has been seen to move or change positions from time to time, <laughs> and isolated reports of ghost lights bobbing among the tombstones exist. Yes. The most current phenomena reported are strange floral scents, which are smelled in the dead of winter when there's nothing to be floral about. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. It's a cross between lilacs and honeysuckle, apparently. Yeah. Sounds like it smells amazing. Yeah, it sounds delicious. Can sounds... I get those oils? <laughs> sounds very relaxing. It. Okay, so when you go, go for the little further up, you come to Maple Lake. Maple Lake is a hot spot in the Archer Avenue Triangle and is known for paranormal energy. The area has been frequented by cults, been the site of black magic rituals, and a 17-year-old girl was found in the lake. 
Her killer was found, but her death only added to the mystery around this lake. That said, the lake's main claim to fame is the bright red ghost light. This light shows up over the water between 95th and 107th and has also been seen at the northern edge across from the Maple Lake Overlook. They say that a red light has appeared that moves slowly at the edge of the water. It is round and shines a bright red, sometimes so bright that it is reflected in the water. Mm. Yeah. Oh. The source of this orb has no definitive explanation, but stories abound as to its possible origin. Some claim it is the lantern of an, el- an early settler killed by Native Americans who now searches the shoreline for his lost head. <laughs> Others well, claim. How's he going to find it? Right? <laughs> what does the light do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's it providing for you? <laughs> He's going about it all wrong. He's doing it wrong. <laughs> Get your hands you, down there and start feeling that's, around. <laughs> that's not how you find your head. <laughs> Don't silly, you have like silly ghost, ghosty, spidey senses or some shit? <laughs> what do you need a red light for? Um, others claim the opposite. <laughs> Maybe it's his head looking for his body. And I just that's see right. his floating head with a lantern between its teeth. Maybe that's the head that he's holding. Yeah. And, what is, and he's looking for the lantern. I get it. Yes. Yeah. Which makes more sense because at least his head has eyes. <laughs> so, okay. Others say the opposite and that it's the ghost of a beheaded Native American also looking for his head. What if there's both and they just keep bumping into each other? <laughs> like, oh, this isn't my head. This isn't. This is your head. I this keep fighting this head. other guy's hey, head. Hey, Rob. This is uh. yours. <laughs> well, this sorry. isn't my head. It's mine. Like, how many people have lost their heads in this lake? A lot. Apparently. Because uh, due to all the prevalent crime in the area in the 1920s, some believe it's the specter of one of Al Capone's victims. So who knows? Who's <laughs> looking for his head? Like it's everybody's, whole, it's... everybody's looking for head around this lake. Okay, moving on. I mean, on. it does sound like a red light district. Red light special. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> This one's way more fun. Okay. Yes, we needed <laughs> this. More. I need to pick fun. me up. Just people looking for their heads. Right, yeah. Fairmount Willow Hills Memorial Park. It's a mouthful. It is. It's Fairmount Willow Hills Memorial Park. Okay, <laughs> the eeriness of this cemetery comes not only from the rumors of the dead roaming among the tombs, but also from the oppressive clock tower situated on a hill near the entrance. Ooh. Shadowy figures are seen sloping across the park's hills, one of which may be the ghost of a woman who was found brutally murdered on the cemetery grounds. Oh. There's a lot of women that are murdered in, in, the, in this section. A phantom face has also been seen peering from behind a window in the clock tower. Mm. More infamous is the bizarre hopsichord music. Hopsichord. Hopsichord. Hopsichord music. Um, anyway, that music is heard <laughs> bleeding out of the park's white ma- mausoleum. It is not a, the color white. It's like the name white. Okay. Most often heard at dusk, the music is especially baffling considering the interior of the white mausoleum is completely filled in with concrete. Hmm. Weird. Yeah, it's hard to play how a does this sound, when covered uh, in concrete. How does the sound even travel? Right. I mean, it makes no sense. This is, this is a And we're, I mean, and mausoleums don't usually have musical instruments in them. Not normally. Not normally. But, I mean, who knows? Right. It's just a pocket. Just a tiny little pocket. A little pocket with, with a little... harpsichord. little Schroeder in there just... <laughs> Schroeder, yeah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. A, little, a little Schroeder's cat. Uh, Schrodinger, Schrodinger's Schrodinger's cat. cat. Yeah. I was thinking of Schroeder, the piano-playing peanut. 
Uh, it's a Schrodinger's cat named Schroeder. <laughs> Who plays the harpsichord. Plays the harpsichord. So we got to worry about copyright. <laughs> right. Yeah. We not in no not in our movie. We don't. <laughs> okay. Although the White's Crypt was destroyed by a fire in 2003, some say strains of the haunted melody can still be heard lingering in the air. Probably sounds a lot like that fire truck. Okay. Um, <laughs> Bethania Cemetery. Bethania. B e t h a n i a. Like I know these things, Beth- I really don't know. Bethania. 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 Oh, you're just getting rid of the th. All no, together. it's the Bethania. Bet. Oh, but. Anya. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Bethania Cemetery. <laughs> a predominantly Cemetery. German burial ground near Resurrection Cemetery, Bethania, is plagued. <laughs> it's plagued by two distinct specters. During the fall, late at night, motorists have spotted an elderly man in a red flannel shirt walking on the grounds. He appears to be holding a rake while burning a large pile of leaves near a maintenance entrance. Although he wears a friendly smile, those who see him are left feeling a bit uneasy watching this man doing yard work between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. Upon closer inspection, the man always disappears. Mm-hmm. Another of Archer Avenue's most ghoulish phantoms frequents this cemetery. Um, this is really, this one's creepy. Okay. A man completely covered in blood has been witnessed... Oh leaping onto the roadway while frantically waving a flashlight as though flagging down help. (gasps) Cars that stop to assist report the man returns back down the embankment towards the cemetery fence before vanishing. One driver says he was driven off the road by the blood-soaked ghost when blinded by his flashlight. How did he? How did that ghost die? I don't know. Oh! Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. So creepy. And then the guy that's run off the road, all I can think is, like, can you imagine being run off the road by the guy soaked in blood? And then you're like, crap, I'm stuck in a ditch. Where'd this motherfucker go? <laughs> yeah, and why is he covered in blood? And what am I, What do I have to look forward to now? I don't like any of it. Oh, everything. I just don't I mean, like I love story. it as long as it's not happening to me. Okay. <laughs> the Irish legend pub and restaurant. Well, this place is said arrogant. to have been a like, little bit. We're going to call ourselves Well, they've changed the their name. To the... Well, because it really is an Irish legend. So oh. <laughs> this place is said to have been one of Al Capone's speakeasies during his reign. Known as O'Henry's Roadhouse at the time, it served as a speakeasy and brothel with a basement used for interrogations, slaughter, and burial of Capone's enemies. Hashtag Abort- fuck a basement. Right? And we've had, this episode has everything. Um, <laughs> really, this is just like a... It's loaded. It's like a season of Lost. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Abortions were performed in a small room on the second floor for sex workers in the establishment. The walls contained hidden compartments to hide gangsters, and there were underground tunnels for escape routes. Wow. So, yeah, it it is kind of a legend. Yeah, okay, 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 fair. I take it back. It's not arrogant. Now it's just known as the Irish legend. The Irish legend. One known man during the 1920s and 30s or 30s, was the hapless bartender who fell in love with one of the sex workers who was also wanted by a pretty ruthless and cold-hearted gangster. Gangrenous. Gangrenous gangster. Boo, we don't like him. He stinks. Sounds like he's mean. He is. The gangster, here's how you know. The gangster (laughs) broke the bartender's neck, killing him as the bartender came down the basement steps to get supplies stored there. The gangster then beat the sex worker, and it's believed both were buried in the dirt basement. Oh. It's sad. He what told an asshole. This, he is. The gangster's the worst. 
So people get a lot of uneasy feelings in this place, especially, surprise, surprise, in the basement. A shadow man has been seen going up the stairs amongst other shadowy figures. But the most shocking specter is that of what could have been the sex worker killed by that piece of shit gangster. People have reported the pulverized face of a sex worker that is sometimes seen in a bathroom mirror. The same woman once appeared in front of the building's owner and informed him of how much she appreciated the renovations that were taking place. Polarized? What do you mean polarized? Like, beaten. Oh, oh, pulverized. Yeah, I thought you said polarized. I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, pulverized. Pulverized. Sorry, I'm assuming. I maybe glossed over it. That's fine. No, pulverized. Oh, God, that's terrifying. Let me just say it again so we really get the... No. Yeah, it was bad. Sightings surrounded the establishment, or sightings surrounding the establishment include men fleeing through the woods, corpses being carried off, and the sounds of gunshots and screams. Some visitors claim to feel as though they are being intently watched by something just beyond the trees. Side note, it's just beyond the trees. There absolutely is something watching you. It's the woods. (laughs) speaking of the woods archer woods archer woods inside the archer woods cemetery is supposedly a quite notorious ghost a sobbing woman clad in white hashtag bitches in white number two frighteningly known as the wailing woman it is believed this woman roams the ground in eternal heartache crying for the untimely loss of her beloved child because her cries are so loud and because she brings with her such a strong presence of sorrow, she has earned the name Broken Heart by some folklorists and paranormal enthusiasts. And the Wailing Woman is not all. Many have reported seeing the spectral image of an ominous black hearse with no driver pulled by a team of wild, devilish horses riding in her wake. As far back as 1897, the image of a woman in white with a ghostly black carriage pulled along behind her, was reportedly seen at St. John- St. John- James Sag, just a few miles southwest of Archer Woods. Yeah, it's another carriage, right? It's another, uh-huh. okay. It's a different carriage. Different carriage. Some Two have claimed carriages. that the spirit of Resurrection Mary has been seen in the hearse uh, and that this procession is actually ushering her soul to the other side. It just makes me think of Darby O'Gill and the little people. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like when the yeah. death hearse or the death carriage comes from him. Right. It's like, Dobby old girl get to, that used to fucking terrify me as a kid. I think it's why I'm fascinated with, with ghostly carriages. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It, so, okay. Speaking of Resurrection Mary. Mm-hmm. I have done a lot of research on Resur- Resurrection Mary. Yeah. We do not have time to get into it. <laughs> because no. there's so much to go over. So I'm bringing Resurrection Mary. I'm resurrecting her. You bring her back next week. <laughs> yes. And um and then I so next week I'm going to go over Resurrection Mary. So we'll yes. get the rest of it because that that does deserve its, it's own. Yes. And sub. so I started. I was like, we'll start south and work our way up north and end at Resurrection. And then I got and there was so much stuff. I was like, there's no way I can yeah. get all of this in there. So yeah, um, Resurrection gonna, Mary is a oh, it's a great, right, it's right. great. It's and there's a great so many other cemeteries in um in Chicago too that are just crazy haunted. Yeah. So, but Resurrection Mary next week. Okay. 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 So. All right. I'll hold you to that. Let me turn that page. Okay. So back to the hearse thing. Okay. Right. The phantom hearse is sometimes seen without horses as well. And 
It always tears up and down Archer Road and sometimes through both Archer Wood Cemetery and St. John's. It's also said to be, sometimes, to be built of black oak and glass, and horrified witnesses have seen the coffin of a child inside the hearse. Oh. And sometimes that coffin even glows. So we've got three different carriages right now. We've right. got the, the original ghost story from St. James. Yeah. We've got... The one with the angry, the scary horses that are tearing through and blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, we've got the horseless carriage with the baby mm. or the child's. The child coffin so, inside or casket. Yes. And the origins of the legends are varied and passionately so. Some believe it is either the hearse that Resurrection Mary's parents used to transport her coffin or the carriage described in the 1897 sighting at St. James. Mm. Whoever the child is in the hearse with the child's coffin is unknown. Wherever it hails from or why it haunts Archer Avenue, the hearse is the most energetic of spirits seen on the road, pulled with fervor by its devil-spooked horses, or devil-spooked not horses, depending upon the carriage. <laughs> Seems to me this is a combination of a few legends through the years. And just to leave you with some more fun, here are a couple of other haunted locations in the triangle. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I missed one. Oh, I did. I missed... Yeah. There was a lot. So much. The Got why so not drive-in. The wow. <laughs> yeah. So I have a couple. I have two more other ones, but I'm going to add the why not drive to this other part. Okay, which is, I don't care. Whatever. I'm reading this. Okay. <laughs> why not? On foggy nights, a ghost named Debbie is said to park her 1965 convertible Ford Fairlane in the lot of this diner located off Frontage Road near Archer and Justice. She waits for an interested young man to pull up next to her and tells him if he will follow her, she will escort him out on the town that evening. Ooh. She takes off and the young man follows her on, her on a dangerous drive in the dark. No matter how fast he goes, he cannot seem to catch up until he drives into thick fog or mist where he last saw the car. It's almost oh. like, yeah. Um, I love it. There's so many, so many stories so many stories around like disappearing conveyances. Yes. Vanishing th spirits. Yeah. And so it kind of makes you think, does it all start from one thing? And then, it, you know, the folklore, it goes from there, especially with the woman in white. Is that shared? But as we'll see with Resurrection Mary, she looks different than these other women. Mm -hmm. She's wearing a different white dress. Um, so, but we'll talk about that next week. That's okay. fascinating. Ugh. The intersection of 95 and Keene, a couple miles south of Resurrection Cemetery, where phantom horses and riders show up regularly. Okay, before there was a stop sign there, it was very hard for drivers to see anyone on horseback. So several people have been killed over the years riding their horses at that intersection. Mm. It's still a very popular place for horse riders to ride. Oh, okay. Yeah. The stop sign is sometimes covered by branches, but several times those branches will be broken off by hand, not a saw. Broken huh. off by hand. Like the next day, someone will be there, and the next day it's been broken off by hand, the branches, mm -hmm. but the branch will have been 10 feet in the air. Wow. So okay. has somebody, and why would they not? Why just saw? use like a saw that? Right. Mm. Interesting. It's Bigfoot. It's Let's Bigfoot. just add Bigfoot in here too. He's very nice to do this. <laughs> um, so of yeah. horses getting killed at that intersection. Yeah, right? But it's pretty regular that people see horses that disappear and people on horses wow. that disappear and just right same thing vanish right in front of them wow yeah and then last but certainly not least is german church road it's north of the river across from willow springs wood okay 
This is dark. <laughs> okay. The bodies of two missing teen sisters were found dumped on this road 25 days after they were reported missing in the winter of 1925. Mm. They had gone together to see um, an Elvis Presley movie for like the 10th time. What, what year was this? 19... Oh, it says 1925. That's not right. It might be 1950. It was 1950. Maybe 1952. In the 50s. I yeah. don't know why I read that. But it's I was like, 1925? Wow. That... Sorry about that. It's probably 1952. Yeah, it was probably 1952. Um, So, anyway, they were supposed to be home by like 11, by 2.30 they didn't show. The mom called, couldn't find them, didn't know anything. 25 days later, they were found. um, I can fucking imagine being their parents. Awful, awful. And like one of, they had a different sibling that had passed away before. It was just really harsh. And they were found. Both of them were naked. Face down, like stacked on top of each other, like um, perpendicular, I guess. And based upon the autopsy, they had no idea what happened. They had no idea how they were killed. And the food, they still had the same food they ate that night in their stomachs. So they think they must have been killed very quickly. And perhaps because of the winter, there was snow. Preserved them. Yeah. And so they never found out what happened, never to these girls. Or how they died or anything. So they didn't even know. I mean, they must have been murdered because yes. someone put yeah, them like that. Yeah, they were definitely they, murdered. They couldn't tell how they didn't know they how. Died. Yeah, they had no wow. idea how. That's weird. At first, they thought, well, maybe they had been left out and died you of know exposure. died of exposure. But it's not like they were in the middle of nowhere. They could have gone to a road, you know, not far. Maybe they had been unless they were unless maybe they were incapacitated. Yeah, unless they were drugged like or something and left out. Yeah, to, left to freeze. And there's a lot to this story, so that could have been another yeah. podcast entirely. We might have um, to revisit this one. Yeah. Their their killer, yeah, the killer was never found. It's always been a mystery. People are there's even like a Facebook page that's trying to solve it. And some people think it can be solved. They think it's very solvable. So they're try, they're still trying to to get mm. this solved. Um <sighs> but since that happened, people have heard a phantom car drive by and then they will hear the sound of two thuds. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's... And they, there's nothing out there. Ooh. So there's a phantom car out there that, you know, that nobody ever sees. There's also a house nearby that's supposedly haunted. Um, I think people have moved out. At the time, that house had been deserted mm. when they looked into it. Like, straight up food on the table. They left without oh, wow. anything. And so people wondered if they had been involved. With the murders, or if maybe oh. they had been squatting at that house or something like oh, that, and then yeah. they were all of this attention was out there, so they were like, "We got to get out of here," and so mm. they left. Okay. They don't know what happened, but um, hmm. it's reportedly very haunted that house. What a creepy! What what is? Ugh. It's dark. That one's dark. So we ended it dark. We came back around and ended. Yeah, it we dark. Could, yeah dark again. Yeah, but yeah. So that is almost all of. Archer oh. Road and a little bit of the Archer Triangle. Oof. But, um, yeah. How's oh, that? God. And Resurrection Mary. Give us a taste. Just give us a taste of Resurrection Mary. Give us a give us a teaser. Well, Resurrection Mary is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, vanishing hitchhiker story in the United States. Mm-hmm. It, may, it may not be the oldest, but it's the most popular. Yeah. She is the most... Most prolific. Most prolific um, ghost in Chicago, period. Yeah. Everybody knows about Resurrection yeah. Mary. And then um, she's one of the most prolific vanishing ghosts. Like there's so many sightings of yeah. her. So there have been so many sightings of her. She's the, the ghost years. that will, um, when 
somebody comes, you know, they'll, she'll be outside of a dance hall or a club or something like that. Mm -hmm. First reported story, he met her outside. She went in and danced with him and she was pretty quiet, a little cool to the touch, blonde woman in a nice, pretty red or white dress, right? Mm -hmm. And that's your other white dress. Right, the other white dress. Um, And... They danced all night, and she he asked if she needed a ride home, and she said yes, and that she lived off of Damon Street. Mm-hmm. And as they were going, though, she directed him towards Resurrection Cemetery. And when they got there, um, I don't know if it's this story. She either disappeared once some, some – it might have been this guy, too. She, he said, where are you going? And she's like, where I'm going, you can't follow. And she got out, and she disappeared into the gates. Of Resurrection Cemetery. Oh. So it is that story of the woman who needs a ride home. Yeah. And, and she, who disappears and she, before. And he goes to the cemetery. Yeah. Oh. Uh, uh, um, yeah. God, I love it. I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait. So that's it, it. It's more about all of the different versions of the stories mm. throughout the years. Um, yeah. A lot of them, at least. Who she may have been. Why she may have yeah. been certain people. And the other, like, because she's so popular, there's a lot of information on her, and, mm, and it's finding mm. out who she might have actually been. It's very exciting. Oh, I can't wait. I, I wish I we could wait. have talked for, you know. I know, I know. But that's okay. We say it's all right. It gives us something gives to them, talk about. Gives our yeah. listeners dead and undead alike. And if you have any of stories or, about... Dead and alive. I shouldn't say dead and undead. Right. That's different. Dead, undead, or alive. Right. Alive. If you, if you have back. any stories about Resurrection Mary or anything like that, please send them to oh, us. yes, please. It'll be great to add to... I am... Oh, Phantom Hitchhikers are the best. Yeah. Like, yeah, anything they're like terrifying. That. Love it. Oh, thank you, Jamie. Oh, no problem. Thank you for that your really, story. It's oh, messing with my mind. I know, right? Yeah, mine yeah. thoroughly messed with. Right. But thanks. <sighs> I appreciate it. That was great. Great yeah. job. Great job. Uh, I got you were talking. I got lower and lower in the chair. I'm like practically. I know down you're laying here, down. So I'm. I'm sorry if I sound really distant. It's because the story literally uh, flattened me. It did. It was a lot. <laughs> oh, it was just. It was, it was just slam was ghost lot. story. Slam ghost story. <laughs> slam, slam ghost story. It was a ghost story slam. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. But um, yeah, and thank you everyone for listening. Of course, we you know appreciate you. And check out the website, ghoulintentions.com. It has all the shit on there. That all you the want. things. Um, do you have anything exciting to add? Uh, no. Next next time, hopefully, I'll be a little more awake. Yeah. Because hopefully by then, Gus, our little French bulldog, will, will be more potty trained than he is currently. Yeah. More Have a little more bladder control. Yeah, hopefully. And sphincter control. And uh, I'd be quieter. I don't know. Probably not. So it might be a few weeks, guys, That's before right. I'm back to my normal You self. are great. Don't you thank even you, doubt yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just, now I you... feel like, I feel like a ghost right now. <laughs> we're talking about you can go home and go to sleep How about oh, that? God, for like a couple hours at least that's good <laughs> yeah well uh, thank you guys again and remember it's, it's okay, okay to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on, on. <laughs>